Karaoke without alcohol, it's a nightmare. Whether listening or performing, it's a fucking nightmare. I had sworn off drinking sake since my first time in Tokyo. The headaches. During the daytime, Benny and I would hop on the subway and head to Shibuya to his friend's karaoke bar. It wasn't to sing. It was for the free drinks, the free sake, flowing like a broken water main. This became our afternoon and evening routine before relying on his older brother to get us into clubs at night. It was that or trying to buy mushrooms from street vendors, which was legal there at the time. Dude, what the fuck is the deal with this? Benny seemed unfazed by my question as we left the mushroom vendor's table and ventured down into one of the many lounges these psychedelic salesmen operated out in front of. It's all good, man, he replied. The simple words were all I needed to hear. Ducking, we walked down the windy staircase to the basement-level lounge. The sprawling walls were a red velvet-like fabric. Down in the spot, the couches were of the same decor. Scenes from Alice in Wonderland played in my head as I imagined Jimi Hendrix played in my ears. Instead, it was some ambient music I can't recall. We didn't stay long that night. Yo, Jake, my friend is feeling you, man. Before I respond, he turns back to the girls and says something in Japanese that causes them all to smile approvingly. I raise up my glass of sake as we offer cheers and drink. I've been in this same place too many times in the last too many days. Benny doesn't seem to mind. It's his boy's place, so we're given the homie treatment. No one is singing. DMX blasts in the background of our private room. Benny and Toru scream over the music to talk to the girls. Yumi has moved and is sitting by me. The rice wine has dried my head out to a painful point, and I can't remember how it played out next. Free, endless sake, day in and day out. Yumi and I began hanging out there over the several weeks. She spoke no English. I knew barely only a few Japanese phrases Benny had taught me. You would be surprised what you can communicate with just your eyes and your body. She gave me a few gifts of jewelry while I was there. My favorite was a double-headed snake ring. I wear it to this day. It can look like a simple wedding band if turned inward. It's the only piece of jewelry I never take off. Nothing sentimental. It's not easy to remove and wouldn't come off while I'm surfing. But when the double heads are turned in and hidden, it can come in handy and has gotten me in and out of a lot of trouble. The image of that double-headed snake often replays in my mind. The concept of your greatest opposition being yourself hits hard. Later, it inspired a tattoo on my inner right bicep of a snake in the shape of an infinity symbol, chasing its tail, forever wrestling with self. A different time, a different city, another private karaoke room. No sake for me this go-round. It's Vincenzo's girlfriend's birthday party in Manhattan. I know a third of the people here. And then there's Mary. That was her English name. I never caught her Indian name. Things proceed after some initial flirting. Nothing major. We make out and caress in the private room while people leave for a breather or a cigarette on the sidewalk. We stay while everyone goes on break. She's tall. With her heels on, she's about eye level with me. She looks over her shoulder, then back at me. Hey, watch my back really quick. Tell me if anyone comes in. Most of the attendees left their drinks in the room while they went out for air. Mary stealthily goes in her purse with a caution about her. 
crouched over. I assume she is breaking out some drugs. Yeah, I got you. You're good. For now, I'm happy to participate in the coverage and the drugs. Excitement shifts to confusion. She pulls out some tablet and crumbles it with her long fingers, the solid pill fading to dust and bits in an unattended drink. This unattended beverage belongs to another guy here at the party that I don't know. Seeming composed, she stirs it with a straw. Before I can muster a word, she directs her brown eyes at me, serious as a pregnancy test. It's a laxative. That guy is a real asshole, trust me. I don't know how to react, so I don't. She says this man has been very rude and disrespectful. I never learn exactly how. I've been too busy forcing my way through surface-level conversations and trying to leave with Mary, all while dodging shitty renditions of songs I like by people who couldn't carry a note with a gun to the head. My awkward discomfort is interrupted by the return of the other partygoers. Their laughter is loud. Drinks are picked up off tables, along with the drink in question. The gentleman in question proceeds to sip that drink, the future of his bowels hanging in the balance. People love a public crucifixion. I call it the Jerry Springer effect. Daytime talk shows in the 90s, like the Jerry Springer show, gave viewers at home the luxury of watching dysfunction play out on the screen so they could say, well, at least I'm not that fucked up. Reality shows that currently dominate the entertainment world are the modern-day Roman Colosseum. Fights and disputes are the meat and potatoes on which all come to dine. We watch from the stands, cheering on disruption and downfall. Some especially like it when celebrities, rich and successful, fall from grace. This is a grace that we provide them through blind allegiance. Sometimes you can't tell those watching the circus from the circus itself. I don't know her. I don't know him. I do know that my sexual pursuit is soured. I want none of this. Not the booze, not Mary, nor the climax of her deed, and certainly not the shitty karaoke. I begin to sober up abruptly, like when a cop pulls you over. All right, dude, I gotta get this long-ass train back to Brooklyn. I say my goodbyes, then dap and hug Vincenzo. He's too faded to comprehend that I'm leaving. The booze now worn off, the four train back to Crown Heights is my vessel. As I'm getting off my stop, I keep asking myself, did that guy from the party shit his pants on the ride home? That was a chapter from my new book, The Waiting Room. That chapter was entitled Nightmare City, The Jerry Springer Effect. And I'm very happy because my new book, The Waiting Room, is out now. Um, I thought it was coming out next week. And it's kind of odd. Today is my father's birthday, or, or would be his 71st birthday, I believe. Um, and uh, it came out today instead, which is kind of eerie and strange. The book, uh, much like my first book, Quicksand, The Waiting Room is, you know, autobiographical short stories and some poems. And there's debauchery and shame and excess and love and heartbreak and all these kind of themes, the same ones that were prevalent in my first book. But um, the underlying story is about uh, a son trying to reconnect with his father who's, who's dying, me and my father. And, you know, he's, he, the, you know, the book's a lot about our relationship, and it's just eerie. It's fucking eerie that the book comes out today on his birthday early. I don't know if, um, if it's some strange universal occurrence or if the fucking publishers are trying to win my sympathy. I don't know. 
Um, but it's very interesting. Anyway, I'm very happy. And the waiting room is available now. Um, it's you know the link is in my bio on all my socials. Um, if you go, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, a lot of major online retailers, select bookstores. Depending on if you're in a major city or a small town. Sorry, I don't have any control over that. The Kindle and ebook versions will be available in a couple days. And I will do another audio book version where I read it, which will come out, I don't know, maybe in a couple months. I want to, excuse me, I'm burping. Burping up wine, dude. Um, I want to milk the fucking physical copy, the physical. I want people to grab that or the Kindle ebook, whatever. I just want people to enjoy it. Uh, and I'm very, very happy about it. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it's strange because I was talking about this. I was on another radio show podcast recently, and there's this kind of anxiety... I had a, my first book coming out and kind of with this one too because I write some personal shit. These are all true stories and I just like kind of lay it all on the table. I, you know, talk about my fears and insecurities and say crazy things I don't really censor much and you get a little nervous when that shit's about to come out because, um, you know, this is personal shit and you can't take it back. It's out there in the ether, dude. And, you know, most people receive my first book well, fans and stuff. Some people, family members, maybe some people that were mentioned or in the book even though I changed all the names uh, not always you know but I'm just I'm not giving my opinion on anything I'm just telling you the stories how they went you know um, I could tell you the sky is blue and this is how I feel about the sky being blue but I'm just telling you the sky is blue I'm not doing any of that other shit uh, so some people you know some people might not like it based on how they perceive themselves in some of these stories Either way, it's it's a little anxiety righty to uh, to put that kind of shit out. But fuck it, I'm doing it. Whatever, it's already out there. It's too late. But I hope you enjoy it. If you do happen to purchase the book, um, regardless of where, I hate plugging it like this, but Amazon reviews and ratings are important. You know, publisher reminds you that, but it is. It does help drive sales, and you know, you get some bigger eyes on you, and that's just like shit publishers and agents consider so anyway if you happen to purchase it just know from the bottom of my little snake man heart i very much appreciate it and i also uh, ask you please to write a review or uh, give it a good rating uh, unless you hate it i guess you could fuck it pull it apart but let's be nice right be nice man it's a safe space <laughs> oh god um but what i wanted to do on this uh episode of damaged goods it's 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 a it's in a book edition. It's the waiting room edition. I did the same thing for Quicksand, so I'm doing it for this view. I kicked it off with reading a chapter from the book. Um, and I did that one in one take. That wasn't like when I do the audio book where I punch in or clean it up or whatever. So if I had to spit or swallow or sneeze or some shit, I fucking held it in for you. I held it in the whole episode. Um, I one take that shit. I hovered that shit. I Jay-Z'd that shit. When I do the audio books, I do not. We do it a little more professionally. Uh, but I just wanted to give it like a little backstory on the book, some fun little tidbits of information, dudes, dudettes, dude peoples, whatever, dude persons, um, you, you know, things, things to just enhance, to richen the experience, to further enrich. I don't think richen is a word. I just made that up. Wow. Way to sell a book, Snake Man. Yeah, you're a writer making up fucking words. Uh, to enrich the experience of the book. So if you were to look at the book, uh, you'll see the cover. And the cover... I wanted, not just the cover, but the whole theme of the book, I wanted to follow the vibe, the style, the theme of my first book. I won't be necessarily doing that on my third one. I got a different idea, but I wanted to follow that. And I had a baby picture on the first one. It was kind of my homage to, you know, certain hip-hop albums. 
Illmatic, Ready to Die. I mean, Carter Three, I think, or two. I mean, there's a lot of them. And you know, being a kid who came up with hip hop culture so close to his fucking heart, uh, that was kind of my homage. And on the Quicksand cover, uh, it was a baby picture, a young Jake. I think I was less than a year old, and I'm in a pile of money, uh, drug money, illegal money, blood money. You call it what you want. Um, and that's a real picture. It's a real thing. That's just the life I was living at nine months old, or my parents were living. Um, and on this one, you know, in in theme, I I've, I picked another baby picture, and. Uh, it's a picture of my father carrying me. You don't see his face. You just see the back of his head. And he's got me kind of looking over his shoulder. So you do see my face. I'm probably like, fuck, man, three or four. I got a little bowl cut on. But you can't really see my face because I have on like, I don't know if they're called the Groucho Marx glasses. It's like the the, the dark rimmed glasses with a fake nose and, and a mustache on it. Anyway, I'm wearing those. My father used to like to do weird shit like that to me. Put lobsters in my crib when I was a baby. Things of this nature. That's why I eat lobsters with such ferocity, dude. I hate cooking them live and shit, or especially the spiny ones when you gotta stab it between the eyes. But I do it kind of just out of this fucking traumatic uh, resistance to them. And they're tasty. Anyway, that's the cover. Uh, and I, I wanted to do it again with this one. And that was very important to me. To kind of keep the theme, and it was tough because it's not like you just have a plethora of crazy baby pictures laying around of weird things or an, an image that would encapsulate the story of the book. And then I'm just fortunate that I do. Um, the theme of the book in the first one, it yes, it's all these short stories. It's a lot of heartache and you know questioning to myself, a lot of self doubt. I was wrestling with you know getting fucked up, doing drugs and drinking and going on these crazy. Uh, adventures and wild shit happened to me and crazy childhood tales and just weird shit that nobody else I don't I know really had happen um, and I'm not saying my life is crazier than people's it just may be a little more unique I'm not saying it was the harder than people's I'm just saying it was very different that's all um, but there was a backstory to quicksand and that underlying story that backstory was an attempt at a second chance redemption reconnection with uh, a man me Jake Frazick, Jake the Snake, the host of the Damage Goods podcast. Uh, me and uh, a woman um, who's my, my fucking girlfriend, fiance now. Uh, but, you know, trying to get back with a lost love, you know, trying to reconnect and rebuild a relationship, a second chance. This book, The Waiting Room, is all those crazy stories, like I said before, mixed in with poems and shit that all tied in. The underlying story on this one is, is a son trying to reconnect with his terminally ill father. My father, Skip, I, I don't really call him dad. I, I hate the word dad. Jake the Snake, fun fact. I hate the word dad. I never use the word dad. Um, I refer to him as my father or Skip. And his real name was Joseph, but Skip was his nickname. Everybody knew him like Skip. Um, it was me and him. We had a knotted relationship. I'm not saying it was bad. It, it wasn't great at times or many times and it was it was a very unique one and I don't want to give too much away the book but it was strange it's not like a lot of people's so it was me and him you know reconnecting and really just trying to put things together in a positive way you know at the tail end of his life you know we both knew I was with him the day he found out about it I was in Mexico you know he got stage four pancreatic liver cancer and you know, the doctors are telling me I'm probably the same shit they're telling him. I know, we know what the prognosis is. There's not a very large chance of survival. And the timetable for how much you got left depends on how good treatments go. It's just buying you as much time. 
So, you know, I, I decided to to take care of him in, in Mexico um, while he was undergoing treatment and going to basically see out his last his last days. And it was a chance for me and him to make things peace and make things feel good between us, although it felt like it didn't. Most of the time it felt like it didn't, but, it you know, things felt good. You read the book. I don't want to give too much away. Um, and it was a lot of sacrifices I had to make. I, I turned down my own fucking show. I had, I got offered a talk show, radio talk show on a station I can't mention. Um, it was kind of like my dream. Not a music show where I talk every 15 minutes for five seconds, but like, uh, like a damaged goods thing, but on a larger platform. And I said no to it to go down to Mexico to take care of this dude. I made some sacrifices, but it was all worth it. One of my aunts, one of his sisters told me, you know, she's like, I know this ain't easy. Most people do this. They do it around their families or in a... In a, in a city close to home or where there's relatives around. It was just me and this motherfucker. I mean, my girl was there some of the time. You know, his nurse would come and shit, but it was it was just me and him. It's a lot on one person, I tell you. In another country doing it all, a lot on one person. And uh, I, 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 I sacrificed some stuff to go, but my, my aunt told me, she's like, I know this ain't going to be easy. You, you want to do it. You don't want to have any regrets when he's gone. You want to do this, regardless of how much you fight. You know, you don't want to have any doubt in your mind you should have been there if you wanted to. Not even like I should have, like it was the right thing to do, but if I wanted to. And uh, I did it, and I'm glad I listened to her because she was right. I don't have any regrets. I did everything I could. I was there up, in the, you know, dude died in my arms. And it was 11.30 at night, March 2nd, um, at the house in Mexico, just me and him. And, it, you know, I felt good about being there the whole time. And this book, you know, I started writing it when he got sick, the first book took me five years to write. This one I wrote in like a year and a half, you know. Spent a little time cleaning it up and getting it out there. And now it's out there to you guys. And I'm very excited. On the inside of it, you will see some illustrations. I did these illustrations as well in the first book. All I did is I took photos from childhood and adulthood. Ones that I thought were cool, but they also kind of um, were encapsulated by the chapter. Or represented a chapter. So it's not every chapter. But I did is I... Okay, the first book, I had a really, really ill, talented artist friend of mine who's a beast. He was going to do the illustrations, a certain style we discussed, kind of like the style I went for, a sketchy pencil sketch version. My book, first book, Quicksand, was all done, ready to do it. I'm just waiting on a fucking, another artist to get the shit together. And boy, it's taking a while. And I'm like, bro, I'm running to a deadline. He was having a bit of a rough time in life. Some things weren't going well. Um... He lost his job. He pulled a gun on some dude at a gas station in the middle of the day. Things like that happened. And, you know, didn't get the chance to do it. So I did it last minute. And it was cool. But now, second book's coming around. I'm trying to stay in the same theme as the first one. So I did the drawings again. I'm very, uh, you know, I'm happy with them. They're cool. They're fun. And it's, it's a nice way to flex me, uh, me to flex my oldest uh, artistic skill. Because before I was a writer, before I was making music, before I skateboarded or surfed, I was fucking painting and drawing, dudes. I was drawing, drawing. My mom's parents, uh, my mother's parents are both artists, were both artists, you know, painting. And they did a lot of art, but big in painting. And uh, yeah, so I got into it. And then, of course, I wanted to find not just painting, but something else in the realm of art. Yes, I did crepe paws and charcoal and all that shit, but I like graphic art, comic books. I was all into comic books, drawing them, fucking penciling, inking the whole nine. Um, so this was a nice way to get back to that. 
I'm going to light up a CBD cigarette. These aren't real cigarettes, as you know. If you know, I don't smoke those fucking squares, but I quite fancy these. Because it's like smoking without getting blitzed all day. I got shit to do. And I don't smoke sativa. I only smoke indica, which will make you a little sleepy, if you don't know. Um... So, yeah, this is like I get to smoke without getting super high all the time, and it's not cigarettes because those are nasty. Nasty. <laughs> yeah, but The Waiting Room, it's out now. It's fucking fantastic. It's a great book. Uh, there's a lot of chapters I edited out of this, and I'm going to probably put them on something. I think we might do a, a next edition. I don't know. We're going to do something out. But I got a great publicist I'm working with. I feel very excited about the book. And... uh it made me think of like, damn, dude, what are some other good books I could recommend to people to read uh, once they finish mine or, if, or or whatever? And it's hard, like, if you like my books, what I could recommend that's in the same vein. But I'm just throw out some other great books at you. Um, you ever seen the movie Clockers? Spike Lee movie, right? Mackay Pfeiffer, uh, Harvey Keitel, Delroy Lindo, John Turturro. Great flick. I forget which members of Onyx are in there. I'm stoned out right now. Um, there's a great book called what? Clockers. I thought it was a, a Spike Lee joint. Usually is like the original ones he writes, but the, uh, he didn't write Clockers. I didn't know. It's a great book. It's fucking deep. It's a little different of an angle on, like, um, I guess you could say perspective on the, than the movie. I don't want to tell you how it changes a little, but that's a great read. You should check it out. Now, the book I'm reading right now, it's kind of a scholastic read, is Drug Smuggling, Oh, no, it's called On Drug Smuggling by Drug Smugglers. Um, it's, I, I actually used this as a bibliography in a college paper back in the day, some sociology paper, but a friend gave it to me recently. I reread it. He wanted to know what I thought about it. Um, and it's kind of interesting, you know. It's like some school study type, professor studies, that thing they interview, you know, different people who've been arrested for drug smuggling. Predominantly, this book was made in the 90s, but a lot of the research was the early 90s. So a lot of the smuggling, which they're referring to, is like cocaine and marijuana coming in from South America, Central America, Mexico, into the United States. It doesn't really deal with them smuggling in other countries or any newer things. There's no meth smuggling, a fucking anthrax smuggling, shit like that. But um, that's a good one. And uh, I just read Charles Bukowski's Notes of a Dirty Old Man, the two book versions he has, which are compilation versions of his, his, his uh, column he used to have, Notes of a Dirty Old Man. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's all tied together. You can kind of pick it up and read where you want, which I think is a beautiful thing, especially, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Some people have a short attention span. I think we all do now. I think they're, we're... we're Growing to have shorter attention spans due to so much conditioning like, you know, the way we watch quick eight-second videos or tweet only 140 characters or 80. I don't know how many it is now. You know what I'm saying. Shit's in shorter amount. We watch, we binge watch 10-episode series before we watch a movie. But those are some great books right there that you could pick up and enjoy. Oh, go get Jude Angelini's Finn, his new book. He was just on the podcast recently. That's a great book. Uh, you would definitely dig that if you dig my shit or you just dig like kind of dark comedy shit. Um, I don't know if it's, it's, it's comedic in sense, but it's, it's dark um, and it's poetic. It's a good book. You should go get that too. And then I've, I can get into reading again because I wasn't reading too much when I was editing and finishing all the shit up because I don't like to have too much subconscious influence in my shit when I'm creating. And as artists, I don't care if you're a writer, musician, actor, you name it. We all are subconsciously influenced by 
uh, the artists that we we admire, that we kind of were raised on, or just even what we're listening to or watching or reading at the time, it kind of seeps in. And sometimes, you know, the influence, the inspiration of these other artists is very evident in some people's works. But sometimes it just seeps in a little and we don't even know it that we're trying to emulate it because we're just too busy, you know, reading, watching, whatever it, soaking it up. So when I'm doing the editing and final touches of the book for the last whatever period of time it was, I didn't really want to read anything that was anything remotely close to this. Um, maybe like some some true crime shit or, or you know a history book, but nothing that would influence my writing or have me qu- not even influence but questioning like oh should I make it more like this like you know forgetting your own voice forgetting your own style and starting to wonder do I need to incorporate more of this less of that because you're comparing yourself to these other artists that you're you're taking in. I tried to avoid it. That's a little tip for you, dude. A little Jake the Snake fucking tip for you so you can, you know, apply that to your own artistic endeavors, which I'm sure you have many. I do too. Um, I got plans for a third book that I've already started. It's going to be a little different, and I'm very excited about that, but I've got to let a little breathing room go by. i got to do press-type shit for the waiting room and, you know, juice that shit. And, and you know, I stay creative, but I'm not trying to rush anything new yet. I want to kind of... Step back and have perspective. I think there's something important to that. You know, artists, music artists, when they put out albums, sometimes they have a little breathing room before they jump right back in the recording studio. So you can kind of get a perspective on your last work and see where do I want to go next, you know, and um, not rush it, you know. I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like music nowadays, at least in hip-hop, there's just like boom, 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 churning it out. And I know you have to. You compete in a bunch of uh, other artists, that are turning out shit, but I've always been a quality over quantity guy. Call me wacky, call me old-fashioned, um, but that's just me. So I like to give it a little breathing room, but I will be back on it. You know, everyone's always. I I finally love it that the grind, grind, hustle, hustle, hustle culture is getting like some kind of criticism. You'll see it on on the interwebs and shit. People making because it used to be like oh, sleep when I'm dead, man. Sleep when I'm dead. Rise and grind. I fucking hate both of those. I really hate the rise and grind phrase. If you ever tell me that, I will ugh, I will scoff at you. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, you got to work hard. No doubt, dude. But like, unless you're like totally uh, in full belief of reincarnation, man, you might only get one of these. Stop and smell the goddamn tulips, roses, hibiscus. Stop and smell the ganja, dude. Enjoy this shit. That's what I learned when I was writing this book. And I spent all this time with my father. Enjoy this shit while you got it. Because believe me, you are going to want every fucking minute. You're going to be trying to squeeze the juice out of the last days, dude. I watched this man do that even when he was redden, bedridden, you know, couldn't get up. Was like a bag of bones. He weighed like nothing but trying to soak up everything you can get. Um, and you got to enjoy this. So, yeah, work hard. Bust your ass here and there when you need to. Listen, when you need to grind, you need to grind. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You got to take care of people. But you got to stop and enjoy shit. It's not just about accumulating stuff and amassing a whole big fortune in your bank account. You're not doing anything with it. Spend time with the people you love. And if you don't like a lot of these people around there, then just hang out with yourself and enjoy that time. But do shit you want to do, man. You got to. Because this shit can go away real quick. And when it starts to go, I imagine that we all kind of start to panic. For It's like you got a glass of water and there's a hole at the bottom and it's leaking. And that's what you're looking at your life like. All this time is starting to evaporate. And I don't know. That's a that's a very fucking scary. It's a very scary sensation. I'm not scared of a lot. I'm not scared of death. I'm more scared of being paralyzed. Um, 
but that's that scares me and i didn't even think about that until my father was was dying it was like fuck what do you do like when you know there's a fucking clock running and we all know well, the clock's running but i mean like yeah they're giving you like you know a couple months and uh so just go soak it up man i plan to do some of that i've been doing a lot of that here and there but i also been working hard but i i'm not trying to overwork myself dude i get bags under my eyes just cuz i have shitty time sleeping but i don't want it to be cuz i'm like busting my ass too much on that same though make sure your bills are paid dude don't be fucking begging for money from everybody because you're too lazy or inept to get shit done you know, you got to treat your mind like a tool and sharpen that shit or muscle and work it out, exercise it, figure out things to do. And sometimes we got to make, like I said, sacrifices, man. A lot of life is built on sacrifices. And sometimes you got to take, you know, a step back so you can take a big leap forward. And that might mean taking a shitty job, you know, job you don't want to do I've had a couple that were fucking terrible, a few. And then those times go. And then, you know, you might be riding on your high horse. Things are working out great for you. And you never know, dude. Down the line again, you might end up back in a spot where you got to make a sacrifice and take some shitty work or do something you just you think is beneath you or below or you or in the past. You never know how shit's going to resurface, if it will at all. Just enjoy the moments as much as you can, dude. Living in the past, it's, it's depressing. I like reminisce like a motherfucker. Shit, my books are based off stories that some are very old. Um, but you want to, you want to, you know, reminisce, but not overdo it. Cause then you might get sad because those things are gone and you live too much in the future. Then you're going to be real with anxiety. You're just always looking down the road, but you're not watching what's right in fucking front of the car, dude. I'm trying to watch what's right in front of the car. I'm trying to be in the car as much as I possibly can. And that's the sound of me ripping the plastic off the fucking, the CBD cigarette wrapper. What a disrespectful, that's like the third most disrespectful thing you can do on a podcast. The most disrespectful thing on a podcast someone could do would probably be eating, which I've never done on a podcast. But if I ever do the straight disrespect episode, it'll be me and a guest just mowing on something like ramen or something slurpy. But then it's going to get all the broth flying on the fucking microphones and the pop. Oh God, it'll be a, it'll be a mess. We'll do that when we ball out, buy extra equipment just for the messy eating episodes. Oh, gross. <laughs> anyway, Damaged Goods Podcast. I'll be back with some motherfucking guests next week. Uh, I really hope you enjoy the waiting room. Grab it. Remember, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle and Ebook coming soon. Yo, I even saw it on Walmart.com. I didn't even know Walmart sold books. It blows my mind. I mean, they sell goddamn everything else. You can get a gun. Some really shitty food, cheap, like, in bulk. And The Waiting Room by Jake Frazick. <laughs> it's a late local Walmart. You never know. But hey, man, if they're slanging my book, I'm, I'm happy because I'm just trying to get that shit out there. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you.